This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good day, greetings, hello. It's Art at the End of the World, the podcast that features artists, entertainers, and cultural leaders speaking about what it is to make art here at the end. My name is Mark Wigmore. Welcome to Art at the End of the World Remix. And the basic idea here is that we take episodes from our first season of the podcast and we rework, reuse, remix, recycle. And uh, here at the end, right? We need to recycle. (laughs) It is our debut season here on the Zoomer Podcast Network and at the new Classical FM, classicalfm.ca. So this is a great chance for people who maybe missed the episodes last time around to hear them fresh. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. My name is Mark Wigmore, host of The Oasis on the new Classical FM in Toronto, Coburg, Collingwood, around the world at classicalfm.ca. Heard 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time weekdays if you want to listen either on the radio or on the website. So this is my podcast. Uh, We started it about a year ago, and it's a show that welcomes people who are changing culture through arts and what they put out into the world. Maybe that's not the goal necessarily, but of course we know that that's what art does. It reflects, it helps us rethink the world around us, perhaps empathize with people around us. And it's exciting to learn about an artist's process and how they got to where they are now and learn a little more about what it is they make and their ideas about this wild world around us right now. So, uh, I, by the way, I implore you to have a listen to episode one, which came out on Monday with Montreal's Alexandra Streliski, the composer and musician, piano player. Just so great to speak with her. I got so much out of it. And you can check out that InScape record. InScape is the name. And uh, if you haven't had a chance, stream it or download it. Uh, Before we get into this week's remix, this episode is sponsored by Crows Theatre, one of this country's most acclaimed arts organizations and based in Toronto's vibrant East End community. Crows creates unforgettable theatre that examines and illuminates the pivotal narratives of our times. Crowstheatre.com for info and tickets to what they're up to. And don't forget, Julius Caesar, the urgently contemporary version on stage at Crows through February 2nd. It is great. I went to see it a couple weeks back. Also, we're sponsored by Red Eye Media, a leading arts and entertainment communications company working with award-winning clients, including Crows Theater, the Musical Stage Company, SummerWorks Performance Festival, and others. To find out more about that team, redeyemedia.ca. All right, so Karen Robinson is my remix guest today. We recorded this back in early 2019, not far away from my house. I just had to drive about one minute away. She is a beloved fixture of the Canadian theater scene, a cast member on the ever-popular CBC Pop Netflix collaboration Schitt's Creek, 
And if you would like to hear all six of my interviews with the cast members of that program, including Dan Levy, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy, Noah Reed, and now Karen Robinson, you can actually just head to the original artattheendoftheworld.com website and the complete masterworks, I call that collection. Uh, They're all available on a blog post. Now, I allude to this story in the interview, but Karen and I first met under very celebratory circumstances. Uh, Back in 2018, I was asked to host the big Schitt's Creek fan event at Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto. Hundreds of people there. Gosh, I was nervous. And I was on stage with the entire Rose family uh, for about an hour. And we did a moderated Q&A, watched a couple episodes. It was just so much fun. Big glitzy night. I I don't think they would... uh, necessarily ask me again (laughs) i think they have probably you know ryan seacrest would do it or something next time but uh, it was great and karen and i had dinner that evening and when we were putting together the idea for this podcast i knew she would be just a, a perfect person to talk to about the art form of acting but also get her gauge on cultural changes and changes in the theater business uh, that she's witnessed as a black woman working within the Canadian scene. It's also just really fun to talk about Schitt's Creek, and it's in its final season, and uh, just great, by the way. One of the themes that comes up a lot on this podcast is that it's hard to move the needle in any profession, and that certainly includes the arts. And it's hard to change perceptions. It's hard to change people's mind. Uh, ideas around what stories get told, how we tell them, and who we champion in the theater and screen business. And Karen is an excellent example of just a real trooper who's all about craft and perseverance. It's all about the work, and, you know, you worry about the cultural changes as they come. She was involved in high school and university theater. Then she went to Mervish, Soul Pepper, the Stratford Festival, Canadian Stage, on and on and on. And one section of this conversation is about her role in Prince Hamlet, which uh, was a very ambitious and contemporary production in 2019, a remixing of the classic Shakespeare story. So we'll get to more on that in just a moment. She plays the generally unimpressed Schitt's Creek City Council member Ronnie on the program, and uh, she's so good at it. Just a great person, a thoughtful person. So here we go from Karen's Dining Room in Toronto's East End. Here's my conversation with Karen Robinson on Art at the End of the World Remix. Projection? Is that something you had to work on? No. <laughs> no, it's never something that I have to work on. <laughs> Clarity maybe so yeah, but but projection I've always been loud because i could hear you loud and clear really last night yeah were you in the balcony no well i was in the back row of the yeah oh front area or okay the bottom section there so. well that's that's good yeah you sounded great that's good okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right so that's one thing that i don't have to worry about so the, <laughs> the last time we hung out yeah was a year uh, ago wasn't was, it sort of the season premiere of schitt's creek yeah. season four yeah we were at tiff bell lightbox yeah and what a night it was. Uh, we started out, we had to take some photos. 
Yeah. Very glamorous. I know. Never uh, done that before. Not that I can remember it was it. Yeah, but I didn't know what I was doing. It was which, so which was so much fun. And then afterwards, I got on stage with the Rose family mm-hmm. and did, you know, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara yeah. and Annie and Dan. And then afterwards, we all went out for a fancy dinner. It was so fancy. I remember the yellow roses and the personal menus and yeah. the table settings and the light and the sparkle and the, oh. We felt like, I felt kind of glamorous and, and you know, just I, like I could see the fame over the, the crest of <laughs> I know, the hill. I know, I know, I know. Sort of north of us. That's was right. The fame. <laughs> And, and Mary Margaret O'Hara was there, yeah. and uh, Robin Duke was there, and... Come on! It was the coolest. It's like the glitterati yeah. or something. It was so amazing. I, I noticed that this year, it seemed like even a bigger deal for season five. I mean, there was a lot of, like, Sony Center, and, and they were traveling yeah. different different towns. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they've taken a different tactic this time. They're doing... Um, they're touring um, a show called... Shit's Creek up up close and personal, right? And um and so many of the they the Rose family and their you know their um TV partners yeah. have all been going to different American cities in a couple of weeks. This is a couple of weeks. We're going to be here in Toronto. Um, meeting you're going to be a part of, and that? I'm going to be a part of it That's here in be Toronto. Great. I hope so. Yeah. The fans go crazy. They kind of go bananas, right? They go bananas. Like these events sell out in a number of hours or something like that. And and you know, and they've had things like proposals um happen at the events. Right. Yeah, yeah, I the cast members seem is, are just over the moon about it and the fans are equally if not more so. And so everybody's just having a good time. I I want to get it. to this part of your career a little more in depth than as we get into the conversation. Yeah. But I will point out that it seemed like this time around, you know, New Yorker articles, New York Times, mm-hmm. Vanity Fair. Yeah. It really seemed like the Americans finally picked up the ball. I noticed that around. too. And um, yesterday, I think it helps when Carol Burnett goes, um, you know, national, if not international, to say she watches the show. I think Mariah Carey. When Mariah Carey yeah. starts tweeting about the show, there are all these people, Helen Hunt is asking why doesn't, what, why is this show not nominated for Emmys? I think, um, I, I think Netflix really took the show to another level in terms of viewership in terms of accessibility yeah. and um, and people are responding in in a way that is well it's it's kind of not surprising because I always knew that you know we were part of a special thing right but um, but I didn't understand what it would mean for Shit's Creek on a global scale and what it would mean for me on a local scale because I'm still a girl who takes a streetcar. Sure. But now I'm the girl who better behave herself on the streetcar because... Anybody call out for Ronnie these days or what? Yeah, people, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it keeps happening. It keeps happening. Is that, is that a first? Um, no, not necessarily because, you know, people, there, yeah, there have been a few other things and people yeah. know me from theater. But what happens now is, um, either people are bold enough to come up to me and tell me that they really enjoyed the show, which I love. I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Or people see me, I see the recognition in their eyes and they nod and say hi, right. like we're friends. Right. And then they're the people who see you, see me and then see me, see them. Right. And then 
look away. Right. <laughs> because they're like, I don't want to get into her space or, you know, they, they feel self-conscious or whatever. So that, that would be the Canadian. That, that would be, that would be the typical Canadian. Yeah. Thing. That'd I, be the thing that I would I just do. wouldn't want to bother. I'm no. such a fan, but I want to look and I don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. You know, actually speaking of all that, I was with a student from Berkeley who, mm-hmm. in Boston mm-hmm. uh, just the other day. Mm-hmm. And he said, all the kids are watching it down there isn't it something it is it really is it really is and in new york and kudos to dan and eugene who were the initial creators and everybody that they brought on board um it's certainly it's a family affair in more so than you know than just the levies uh even though i think that the you know dan and eugene are uh, it's their it's their baby and eugene's brother is uh, eugene's brother is hanging around Fred he's, a, he's is a nice executive guy producer he's great he's such a levy i know <laughs> and they come to see my plays yeah. and yeah they're just salt of the earth great great people i lucked out yeah no kidding um so last night i saw you at the berkeley street theater yeah. as part of the canadian stage why not is it why not theater why not theater why not production theater? of um of prince hamlet presented by canadian stage ravi jane the the director yeah. and of course he's been busy guy for many many years just like you and and, um but i i I can't help but uh be reminded that one of the images a little bit burned into my uh brain right now i know where you're going right now (laughs) we kept our clothes on though (laughs) a bit of a suggestive scene with my friend karen robinson yeah 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 yeah. well you know karen robinson has many sides And you're meant to imagine them as you go through, as um, we go through that particular scene. That was a suggestion, actually, um, of Ravi Jane's and my uh, uh, my wonderful partner in sex um, on stage, (laughs) on stage, stage, Rick Roberts, who is just the most terrific um, actor and acting partner. Pretty handsome. And and yeah, and well, I haven't noticed. (laughs) Really, I have noticed the hair. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and um, and the sculpted features and all of that. Right, but, sure. Um, yeah, he he is so wonderful to be on stage with, and so fully trusting and trustworthy. Yeah. So when uh, so the idea is that you know, um, Claudius and Gertrude, who are Hamlet's stepfather and Gertrude is Hamlet's mother. Right have loud sex which makes sense for how troubled hamlet is for three hours of generally an unhappy person generally a bit melancholy just a little bit down (laughs) blue anyway yeah um it it makes sense that he hates the idea that that his mother has married so soon after his father's death has married his father's brother and you know and seems to be completely oblivious to you know the the uh, to what that means for how that might look how that might seem to people and are having loud sex and and this production in particular everything is is sort of reversed and turned around and put upside down and, yeah and i it, it takes a little bit for your brain to adjust to everything that's happening yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of different traditional male characters have been turned to female absolutely uh, we've got uh, somebody uh, uh signing on stage yep. throughout the entire production it's quite yeah. it's quite a uh 
a feat in its own way. I think so. I think Ravi Jain, with his big, big brain and his huge heart, started to ask himself the question, really ask himself the question, who gets to tell the story? Because there are all kinds of traditional ways that we think about storytelling. And, you know, and that tends to be exclusionary, whether we're talking about race or gender or ability or language. It, it, we seem to have this idea that when we walk into um, a black box or we sit down and turn on some kind of filmic representation of something, we have rules around what constitutes that reality. Yeah. And I think that um, I think Ravi Jain has um, led us to ask all kinds of questions. Why? Why is it that deaf people should be excluded from theater? Why is it that casts of plays like this have traditionally been white? Why is it that back in the day, women weren't allowed on stage? Why is it that Laertes has to be played by a man? Now, now I'll point out, too, that as you know that conversation has progressed over maybe over the last 20 years mm-hmm. we often would see maybe one character adjusted or what have mm. you but this really says no we're gonna go uh we're gonna go whole full tilt hog. here exactly yeah. exactly yeah and um you it kind of works in a and way it, uh, yeah i like that about it i really think it does because i because i have ceased to think of those characters um, as a certain gender. That's right. Because I've been living so long now for um, with with it being the way it is. And Hamlet is being played by the luminous Christine Horn. I don't think of her. It, it's it, gender is uh, gender isn't an issue. I felt like it was a real standout performance. It's absolutely, yeah, absolutely, very very strong. And, yeah, and deservingly, she was nominated for a Door Award for it. Yeah. So between her and Don Janney Burley, who plays Horatio. You see best friends. You don't see two women playing two men who are best friends. That's right. You just see two best friends, one of whom is trying, trying his best to help the other one through. The only indicator becomes some of the language. Some of the language, yeah. yeah. Where you ha- you can't get around that unless you're willing to change it. But exactly, when but, I say, "Alas, he's mad," and you know, but it's a, it's a woman that uh-huh. I'm talking about. But other than that, I mean, if that's what you're focusing on, then we're not doing our jobs properly. That's right, and right? I agree, and I think that that's the the uh, you know the wager of of the entire exercise is yeah. that it ends up being your brain starts to go with the flow of what you're watching, and, Absolutely. and you stop. You, you just get rid of whatever was there before and, and unshackle yourself from those Absolutely. traditional roles. If you're willing to suspend your disbelief so far, why not further? And who knows what that leads to? Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah, which is a wonderful There idea. are worlds out there, yeah. not the least of which is is our collaboration with Don Janney Burley, who has, who first of all, has translated the entire script into um, ASL, because she has to narrate the entire script. The whole story is told from Horatio's perspective. It's a Herculean move, I would suggest. And I rarely see someone work as hard as she did. So she does all of that for the purposes of the play, for her performance and, you know, and, and for the performance as a whole. And then, you know, in the in her um, downtime, she teaches us ASL, right? Because we're because we we want to communicate with this woman, and she's the one who has to teach us how. Yeah, 
bring us into her world. It's quite, which is, quite striking at the beginning. You actually you yeah. see all the actors signing, and it's like, yeah. okay, I guess everybody's involved here. Yeah. yeah so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're learning. <laughs> so, youngest of four. Yes, I am. How'd you know that? Well, you know, I've got a few notes. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm the oldest of four. Oh, I see. So I have a bit of an idea of... Uh, what? <laughs> you know, the babies. We keep it interesting. <laughs> we keep it interesting. And in that, I think that for my older siblings, I was the embodiment of what they could have gotten away with had they tried hard enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and were you, uh, uh, it, was it an easier relationship, just generally speaking? With, with my parents? Yeah. I don't think so. I think that, I, I don't know, you'd have to ask my siblings. Um, I think that... But you are getting I, away with things. I do. I, do. So. I mean, I have an acting career. Right. I mean, that's the big one. <laughs> right? Had my older siblings said that they wanted to go into the arts in any way, I think that they would have been, you know, my parents would have sat on them, like literally, like physically. Right. But with me, by the time they got to me, I think they were, first of all, exhausted. Sure. And second of all, they were kind of like, okay, well, you know, maybe she's just going through a phase and we should just let it write itself out. And we've out. tried three other ways of yeah. doing this so and they seem to be fine so this one let's just see what happens and i happened so born in the uk is that yeah right? born in england and London, is that england. is that where mom and dad met or where no, we, no. mom and dad met in jamaica okay. but my father ended up getting us where my whole family's from but my family my father ended up getting a scholarship to go and study in england okay. and so two of my siblings were born in um in jamaica and then the family moved to England and then my my older sister and I were both born in England. And how long does that last before you? Only really? 2 years. So you don't really have memories of it or anything. No, it was odd. The, I finally went back oh, many years later, like 3 decades later and I had more of a sense of the place than I had um a memory of the place. Like right. I would walk into say Boots drugstores or something the ones that really hadn't been changed right. for about 30 years right and feel something very very familiar yeah it's like an old woodward's uh you know yeah. malt shop yeah exactly it's like huh, i Go. kind of feel my like body remember remembered this. it yeah, like some, right. there was something genetic going uh you know the, the yeah the sensors went off but no not really not really um not a pictorial memory of it. So dad takes care of this scholarship and, and does that, and then it's everybody back to... Everybody back to Jamaica. Jamaica. Yeah. And Kingston. And in Kingston, the big city. Busy place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been to Jamaica about four or five times, and... Um, I mean, we could spend the entire conversation just on that. We really. could. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. It is a thing. And it is a constantly, it's a dynamic, interesting, uh, 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 it can be off-putting, overwhelming. That place, obviously, I have, um, I have pictorial memories of. And I find that when I go go home, and I think to myself, I have... I'm one of those lucky people who has several homes. But when I go to that home, there is something about my body that instantly is at rest. Hmm. But I've been in Canada now for for most of my life. Right. So 
it gets to a certain point. Usually it's about the two and a half, three week point where I think, okay, it's time to go back to that other home. Yeah. I was fascinated to watch the Grace Jones documentary. And, I haven't seen it yet. And she goes, I mean, they, I think they filmed it over 10 or 15 years. Yeah, but yeah. There, she's constantly going back. And yeah. you really do see a noticeable change in her. Oh, yeah. Sort of uh, energy and, and who she is yeah. amongst, you know, her old family members yeah. and friends and so on. It's yeah. quite a... It's fascinating yeah. to watch. Yeah, I love I I love my country. I love that country because you know I also equally consider Canada my country. Um, I love that that is a part of my history and my legacy and my traditions and the food that I eat and the language that I speak when I'm among my people. I I love all of that. I think that, you know, without delving deep into politics, which I really couldn't do with uh, with any kind of scholarship, but I think that as with much of the developing world, it has fallen prey to to greed and imperialism and is still hanging on to the remnants of colonialism and um some pretty and, difficult conservative values there too, yeah yeah well. yeah 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 sure. and it breaks my heart yeah. it really does but i see glimmers of hope yeah. and i see the successes i see the international successes in marlon james and usain bolt and yeah uh, bob marley and yeah uh, and the hundred Marley children. And the hundred Marley children. You know, I, I see that. I I have a book here by the sixth prime minister. I, yeah. you know, I I have myriad um, complex feelings so, about Jamaica. So you get back, you're what, two or three years old, and uh, you set up in, mm-hmm. in, in Kingston. And, mm-hmm. and how long does that? That for? lasts um, 14 years. 14 years. So pretty big years then. yeah and it forms me yeah it, it basically forms me i mean i think that my love for performance came was formed in jamaica i saw you know louise bennett coverly doing the thing that i wanted to do making it she's um was jamaica's uh premier folklorist and um and um she uh she was a poet and a dramatist and and someone who and took w- my culture and b- basically presented it to me and my generation as a crown and you would to wear. S- see her perform and- i would see her perform she yeah. had a weekly show um saturday afternoons called ring ding she'd sing the songs and say the poems and kids my age and i actually appeared on the show once um would yeah you could go and you could perform on that show and that was that was such a huge gift because it it told me in subtle but undeniable ways about the value of of what my people had created right so i'm almost in tears thinking about it now because it was so I feel so fortunate that I had that because let me tell you, there were forces, very, very active forces countering that every day. Yeah. Don't speak that language. We're we're not. We we wanted to be more British than we wanted to be Jamaican with um, African ancestry. I heard that my entire life growing up. There's something about that follow that line follow that course mm. of, of what's been set up for us and and it's just going to get messy if we start mm. to talk about 
how yeah. this actually all came together. Yeah. And and that's difficult for people, even people who might believe in it. Yeah. Believe in talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tough. So So that wonderful influence on you and, and do you start you start performing? There? I do. Yeah. I start performing at tea parties of all things. Tea parties. Tea parties. Because, yeah. because yeah, we did hang on to a lot of Britishness. I remember. I mean, in Jamaica. I'm from Victoria, like... BC. You don't need to tell me. I mean, that's it's built on pillars. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. So. Right. But it's like 150 degrees outside, and we're having tea parties. <laughs> At church. But I would dress up in my bandana cloth or whatever and go up on that stage and do the Jamaican poetry. And, you know, and I think that they thought that <laughs> I can just imagine that all of um, my church brothers and sisters, the, the, the older crowd probably thought that I was cute. Church was big? Church, church was huge. Yeah. Church was huge. Yeah. Church was... It wasn't even a question. Yeah. It was it, it was expected. It was, and you know what? I I do credit it with giving my life structure. I knew what my weekends would bring, and it kept me out of a lot of trouble. Now, every parent's dream. All right, right. I mean, exactly. It was a third parent. Yeah. And um, as I said, you know, it basically kept me. Like, yeah, it kept me out of trouble. So performing poetry at the tea parties, it was the singing and all that, too? And there were yeah. choirs that I got involved with, both at school and at church. Um, there there are, you know, like we have the Sears Drama Festival here, or had. We, um, you know, we had our version of it in, in Jamaica, and schools would send groups. And I was constantly on the stage, constantly doing something, going somewhere to the extent that my parents would let me. It was just, it was where my spirit wanted me to go, and I just sort of followed it because... Was there a sense that you knew you might have a knack for it, or was it just that, hey, this is in my blood, and I'm, I'm doing it no matter what? I knew that I had an... I think it was both. Yeah. Um, I knew that I had a knack for it, but I think because of... Because, you know, I mean, my parents were were uh, a registered nurse and, and, you know, a chartered land surveyor. And, you know, and I've had uncles who were engineers and aunties who were teachers. And I didn't see anybody in my in my family who was an actor. So I think it was the universe had it. It was always somewhere in my cognition, in my cognition. It was it was there. I knew that. There was a possibility. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. Right. So for the meantime, <laughs> I was just going to do it no matter what. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know the path. And so that kept going. And then do we start officially sort of training at that point? Or is there, it's just no. go through the programs? Yeah. The training happened when I came to Canada. That's when the opportunity presented itself. Okay. Before we get to Canada, let me ask you as somebody, who, I mean, I love Jamaican food. I love food from that region. Uh -huh. And so I'm always looking for what I think might be the best representation <laughs> of, of authenticity. Okay. So you must have a pick here in Toronto. Oh my God. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Oh no. Well, I tell you what I, I do tell people and I, I, I might get blowback for this, Okay. but, um, I think, you know, for commercial, for reasons of, um, of, for good business reasons, the, the 
foods of the Caribbean have sort of been conflated. And now we find that, you know, they're Jamaicans offering something that is typically Trinidadian or Guyanese like roti. And there are, you know, Guyanese restaurants that are offering something that is typically Jamaican like jerk chicken. You're explaining the Toronto scene. Basically, basically. we melt everything down. And I tell people, don't mix those things up. Right. If you want good jerk chicken, go to Jamaicans. If you want good roti, go to Trinidadians and Guyanese. Now, listen, I am sure there are exceptions. And I welcome anyone who... Exact fusions. And I welcome anyone who would want to prove me wrong. But generally speaking, I have been right about that. Okay. I've been right about that. That's a hot tip. Exactly. So there you go. Um, So where have I... My favorite is oxtail. Oxtail is probably the reason why vegetarianism has just not taken hold with me. It's delicious. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's delicious. My go-to place when I'm on my bike and I'm coming from, you know, I don't know, some kind of appointment all the way from, say, downtown Toronto and I, um, that, like Young and Bloor and I have to come back down to my house. I ride by Mr. Jerk on Wellesley. Right. Between Sherburne and Parliament. Yeah, I know the one. Shout out to Paul. (laughs) And I go and I will, they really don't disappoint me in terms of the oxtail, in terms of the jerk chicken, in terms of their rice and peas, their cold slot. They don't. And it's also, it's also nostalgia for me because I used to live right across the street. I was in that neighborhood for a few years when I worked at Proud FM. I was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of got to know some of the the haunts. It's changing a lot. It really is. the Zeldas and all the places that I used to know. and I know. Yeah. Yeah, but the food basics is still there. Yeah. <laughs> Some things you just got to have. Yeah. yeah, you just got to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good one. I'll tell you, uh, some of the most vivid memories I have are, are stopping at a, a like a jerk chicken shack just on the side of the road somewhere down in Jamaica. It's the it's, best it's thing ever. Yeah. Especially when they give it to you between that piece of jerk chicken between them, um, between two pieces of the white of hard dough bread, yeah, <gasps> fresh off the grill with some ketchup and some pepper. Couple, couple chickens walking around in the background. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so amazing! Uh, it's, it really is. There's nothing more delicious than that. You're listening to Art at the End of the World. My name is Mark Wigmore. My conversation with Karen Robinson continues in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Podcast Network. Mark Wigmore with you here on Art at the End of the World, the podcast remix. Let's get back to my talk with the wonderful Karen Robinson. So why uh, why does everybody decide Canada is the place? You, you must be, at this point, what, you're uh, 16, 17? Yeah, yeah, because I think my... my um, I think my parents were both looking for opportunities for... You know, you always want your children to do better than than you did, and um, and they wanted to just give us options. And my mother, God bless her, she is one of the bravest souls. I mean, they both are. I think people, yeah. But my my mother is the one who said, "Okay, um, there's this job in this small town in Alberta, and I'm gonna go get it." And 
move my family. However, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. And she did it. Wow. She did it. And all these years later, I think it was 1982 or something. So where we at? What's that? 37 years? 37 years later, yeah. we, that is still... That's that, yet another that, home base. That was the linchpin. That was a linchpin. Yeah. And uh, I know you're a fan of David Cherry Andy's book, uh, Brother, which I, I love too. And I had him on one of my programs and, and we talked all about it. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's the story, isn't that's it? That's the story. Yeah. Your, your parents just say, hmm, okay, so there's this. What else is there? And I think that is, you know, for all their um, uh, their conservative Christian values, I, I do think that it takes a special someone and it doesn't make them exclusive in any way because I think people do it all over the world. I mean, we could go into migrants and all of that, but we won't. To look around and say, I could do this or I could do something else. Right. Right, when even when there's not a crisis, and my my family certainly wasn't in crisis, but they saw what was big, available. It's and big they for just family, thought, yeah. though. I mean, I I talked about moving to Nova Scotia recently, and mm-hmm. I know my mom was you know nervous about it. I yeah. mean, she's going to move even further away from yeah. me, and what? And that's yeah. just still in Canada. So, <laughs> exactly. So it is a big. It is a big, big thing. Deal. It is a big you know, deal. It's a life change. Yeah, yeah, and it's easy to do it when easier to do it when you're younger. Mm-hmm. But my parents were, you know, well into middle age with four children. Right. What city was that in? In uh, Drumheller, Alberta. Drumheller. Drumheller, Alberta. I feel like I heard that in like a Stan Lee kids book or something. He would just list off Canadian uh, funny Canadian city names. Home yeah. of the largest. Paleontology, paleontology let's museum. Let yeah, let's go with that. Paleontology. Can you believe I speak for a minute? Glad you did. I'm glad you did. Oh that, my god. <laughs> um, in the world, right? Yeah, and Which so I, and I worked there. So any uh, acting gigs in Drumheller or? Uh... Well, hey, I mean, yes, because that's how I. Get, that's where I found my path, actually, because. Yeah. Um, I did. I went into grade twelve when I moved here, and when I moved to there, and there was a school play, and I auditioned for it, and I got the part. God bless them, and won some sort of award that took me to a summer drama camp called Art Trek in yeah. Vermilion, Alberta. Vermilion. And um, and just looked around me. I was immersed in everything theater for two weeks, and. At 17 or however however old I was by then, I, my spirit knew, this is where it's at. And I it, can't do anything else. You started to see some the structure of what was going on up yeah. here, and it yeah. was probably a little different than back home. Exactly. And, and I knew I could go to school. I knew I, I, I could pursue a diploma, a diploma then a, a degree, and uh, yeah, I saw the path. You take note you decide this is where it's going to go what yeah. what were the steps after that the steps were uh, <laughs> i remember i remember um knowing that i was going to go to mount royal college because i hadn't done well enough in math to get into university join the club <laughs> and look how well we've done, done we, all right. we needed math what no yeah. anyway i remember getting the sheet of everything that I could do, like all the possible majors I could do uh-huh. at Mount Royal College. And I remember my 17-year-old brain. And a 17-year-old brain back then is even younger than the 17-year-old brain right now. Yeah. But, I, you know, and I think to myself, I was with it enough to look down that list and say, the only thing 
on this page that I could possibly do uh, is theater. And so you were off and running. What was the what was the first show that you really felt like okay, this is I'm part of something here that is making an impression on me and I, you know, it was meaningful to you and that there was a character maybe that you loved performing or what was maybe the one where you really felt okay i'm proud of this oh god that's that's an interesting question because of course now i'm looking back on it with all kinds of filters don't we do that about a lot of things you know what i know i know i know i know you know when it was i'll tell you when it was it wasn't a show that I did. It was a scene study that okay. um, that I did. Um, the second years directed the first years in just scenes from plays that they wanted to do. And I was directed as Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar Named Desire. Okay. And because I didn't grow up in this culture... That wasn't a part. Like, when I was growing up in Jamaica, Streetcar Named Desire, I don't even think I even saw the movie by then. I mean, I just, somebody said, I want to direct you in this. And I went, oh, okay. And just threw myself at it. No real sense of, well, Blanche Dubois was this kind of person in this kind of age and this kind of, none of that. I just jumped in, you know, over my head and surfaced. And breathed. And I remember it wasn't only feeling like I had agency in doing that. I also remember what the reactions were to me being in that part. And in retrospect, now I realize that for all the barriers that were set up for me then, and they were there because, mm-hmm. you know, I was a young black woman in going to school in Calgary, Alberta, being told you were the best person who auditioned for such and such part, but we can't cast you because there were no black people in that position in Canada at that time. I remember that. Um, for all of that that was going on, there was a pocket of people who saw me in that role go and said, you you shone in that role interesting exercise in that too that you didn't have maybe the context for like you point out uh, what that character was had in other performances and yeah. so on and it, it does raise that question about you know once a character has been put into a film and, and it maybe it does become iconic yeah it, it is sort of sad that that character can't be interpreted in different ways without yeah. a lot of scrutiny and yeah. so on. And I mean, I don't know that a writer would ever, you know, maybe the writer isn't even in love with what ended up in the in the big film or what yeah. have yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I love that idea that you were able to take that and just say, well, here's what I'm here's, yeah. taking away from yeah. this. And, and kind of out of ignorance. Right. Just because I, I didn't know. Kids, eh? Oh, my God. That's why all that music is great from young people. And yeah. So on. They just don't have the same... Uh, Fil- exactly. You know, That's why first and- albums are always so, um, well, so often right. so amazing. Yeah. Because you are just throwing everything from your life experience into that. And, you know, and then somebody's calling it and picking out the best, the best stuff. But it's it's without fame or without the sense of what do people want to hear or what do people want from me it's just this is me yeah and once and in a while it's the best stuff they get another run at it and they might be okay for record two and then sometimes it starts to fall apart <laughs> you know there's just too many uh 
courses of business. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you have that experience, uh-huh. and you're going to school there. Uh-huh. And uh, when does Toronto come into play? Or Toronto comes into play because when okay, I went from our. Um, Reader's Digest version went from Mount Royal College to University of Calgary. Barely graduated from University of Calgary. I think they kicked me out and just threw the degree after me. And um, worked at the Citadel Theater in an internship after that. And one of the shows um, under the tutelage of Robin Phillips. And one of the shows that I did there got picked up by Mervish Productions. It was Man of La Mancha, right? Starring Michael Burgess and Susan Gilmore. And I was just that you know the little black girl running around in the back, being you know one of the prisoners on the ship. Brit- Britta Johnson and I talked about this. Did you? show yeah she was crazy for it so as a kid wow i mean she's still practically a kid but well yeah 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 because look at her design <laughs> well, look, look at her go though exactly yeah but um yeah and so i came with the show and i remember i think i was walking around little portugal or something for some reason i was out there and i remember seeing rose bushes climbing up people's ironwork on their um on their front porches and I thought to myself I haven't seen flowers grow like that since I left Jamaica mm-hmm. and I think I need to be here because Jamaica is only four hours away by plane yep. <laughs> because I can get a patty and a coca bread and a ting at the store on the corner yeah. and because I think I can work here right. and I wasn't I was aware that work opportunities in, in Alberta would be few and far between. And so I think, you know, after that contract was done, I think I probably had like 200. No, I actually remember I had $216 in the bank. And I told my mom I was going to be moving to Toronto. And my mom, she, you know, sort of, I saw her lose her mind in her head. Right. But what she actually did with her body and with her heart was write me a check for $100 and give it to me and say, you can come home anytime you need to. And I never cashed that check. Isn't it funny how we have those moments? I had a very similar moment moving to Toronto as well. Did you? Yeah, where I I was working in a restaurant and I knew I was going to be coming here. And and, uh, I remember one of the women saying to me, you'll be back, you know, you'll be back here. And that was the moment where I thought, I'm never coming back. Here. No, honey, I'm not coming back yeah. to that. No. Oh no. No, you just you, you just sealed the deal. You figure she's still waiting? I have no idea. But <laughs> I'll never forget that moment because it it uh, made me very determined yeah. that, that I could make it here. And, yeah. And here we both are. And here this. we both are. And Soul Pepper, Stratford, uh, mm-hmm. all the different uh, smaller companies, mm-hmm. Mervish, as you point out, yeah. it's it's been a pretty uh, solid. It. It really Time has been, it's been miraculous. I, I mean, I, I, I describe it in, you know, being lucky and such a blessing. But I really, sometimes I can't believe it myself because, because this business is hard and it's unfair and it's unpredictable. And I have been through the lean times where, you know, I have great neighbors around. We make great neighbors, yeah. you know, in the city and in our neighborhood. I have great neighbors who will see me out there, you know, gardening and see and and can sense that uh, something's wrong. And one of my neighbors, I remember years ago, came up and said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't have any work and I don't know what to do if I'm not. If, if I'm not acting, I, I, 
that is who I am. Right. Uh, so I've been through those times. Tough struggle. Yeah. I just went through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fine. So you know, you know. It's really, um, really tricky. It really is. To Plays keep with a, your identity. Exactly. To keep a sense of yourself. Who am I if I'm not, doing, if I'm not that, doing, that, doing thing. that thing? Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, and then the tricky part of being this busy which I'm so grateful for. Thank God I have the health and the strength and, you know, and, and but also being able to sustain relationships, whether they be inti- intimate relationships with my partner or friendships with my neighbors and friends. It gets hard because you only have so much time and so much energy and so much space. But that is the stuff. But I know it's important because that's a, that's the stuff that is going to sustain you when those hard times come along. You again. learn it. It's a tough lesson to learn. But yeah. I think that you raise a great point. Your priorities do start to change a yeah. little bit. And somehow that's helpful yeah. in your professional life. Yeah. Yeah, you know? it really is. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, so I've made mistakes and I've had friends who have broken up with me and and then I have the friends who do hang on no matter what and I'm so grateful for them and I try I get up every morning and I meditate and I try again yeah yeah that's working for you how's how long has that been going on the meditation yeah I'm a recent convert I would say I've been doing it on and off for the last year Wow! And I really Pretty new. Do, yeah, really new. And I really, do, you know, there there are other ways that I've been going about, like um, structuring my day, whether it be you know going to the gym or gardening or whatever. But there's always a form of some me time. So lately, what it's been is um, is meditation, and I can certainly see the difference in my days, in my sense of clarity, in. In, in having the eye that can tell when when it's not the world against me, it's how I'm approaching the world, that is the issue. It, it really, it's it's been instructive. Something you brought up earlier was that moment when you were in early casting and you were very good at a role and you knew that you had something mm-hmm. to bring to the mm-hmm. table. Mm-hmm. But... People told you, it doesn't matter how good you are here. Mm-hmm. You are not what we are looking for. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole myriad of reasons as to why that, mm-hmm. is, why mm-hmm. that is. We're not brave enough to sh- change things. Mm-hmm. that's never been done like that before. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. So paint a picture for us from that 25 years ago, 30 years ago of, of what that was for you. Because it was probably pretty specific in that Alberta setting, in that early Toronto setting. What were some of those challenges that you were facing as a, a young black woman in Canada trying to get these roles? <laughs> you know, the most specific thing that I can remember is hearing those words time and again, swallowing it, swallowing those words. Hard on the system. It's hard on the system. And even though those words would sometimes make me angry, they never made me bitter. And I don't know why. It's not necessarily something that I worked on. I think it was because I come from a long line of pragmatists. And even though I, this is what I do, and I understand what a gift and what a huge responsibility it is, I'm not sort of hugely philosophical about it. At the end of the day, 
I know that I have to have a roof over my head and I have to have food to eat. I have to be able to take care of myself. I remember telling my cousin, one of the people who have hung on to me, even though you know, she barely hears, hears from me these days. I remember telling her back then, when I first started out, if in five years I tell you that I don't know how, to, how I'm going to pay my rent or I don't know where my next meal is coming from, give me a swift kick in the butt and tell me to go get a job. Mm-hmm. So whenever I heard those words, I think my spirit naturally went to what's next. When, what Okay, when I, do I have to temp for a while? When's the next audition? Uh, you know, who can help me get to the next level? I actually was ballsy enough to ask people that question. One woman tells me every now and again that she met me at a party once, and I said to her, so what can you do for me? <laughs> <laughs> we get to that point sometimes. I might have had a few conversations like that recently. <laughs> oh dear God! Anyway, um, but that is—that's very much the acting arc. Yeah, you know, people go through that. But you're also dealing with this issue, as you point out, that there's just certain roles that it would have been a hopeless quest on some yeah. level. and and I feel like that it still are <laughs> might might be changing. I don't know if it's quite to the level that the arts and culture world would like to present yeah. to the public. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it feels like there is some incremental change. There there. there is there I do believe so. I and I do believe that I have um I have benefited from those changes. I mean, I, I think that I'd be disingenuous if I if if I said otherwise. I have benefited well right now right. playing Gertrude right. um, you know I have a white husband and my son is white right. and I'm not batting an eye that's my child on stage um, I do I agree with you I do think it's changing I do think that we have to keep pushing because there is the, there's the intention to change mm-hmm. and then there's the bedrock and the reality of exactly. what, what the actual system Ex- is exactly right? there's putting your putting your money where your mouth is and there are also all those minds, right? There, there are all those minds which have gotten so comfortable in what they're accustomed to. And you're challenging those minds. Mm-hmm. Those minds oftentimes come with deep pockets. And if you don't do things their way, then you, know, we, you don't have access to the means in order to do your work. So it's... Mm, it's, it's a continuing challenge. Yes, there have been changes. More so in theater than on film, than on screen, I should say. That's what I'm looking for. Right. I'm, I'm looking for that explosion. It's interesting because I think we're, we're going to see, uh, uh, you know, the Oscars and, and that continues to be this parade of like, hey, we're trying to. Mm-hmm. I think it does fall on, on the arts and culture community to mm-hmm. be ahead of the curve on some of these issues. because When hasn't it? Yeah, though? exactly. And so there has been a response since yeah. Oscar So White yeah. uh, a couple of years back. But as you point out, there's what they parade out on mm-hmm. one night of the year, mm-hmm. and then there's the reality of what everybody's at, the nuts reality. and bolts yeah. of, of the actual machinery of the film business. Absolutely, absolutely. Business. It's not only about what's on the stage, what's going on behind the what's going on behind the stage, what's going on behind the camera. Yeah, whose stories are we telling? Your IMDb though is uh, pretty impressive. Is it? It's huge. <laughs> Compared to who? You've been in a million things. I have. 
have. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have. It's not so bad. No, no, no. It is. It is huge. Yeah. It. It is huge. A lot of shows. Um, yes. 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 Which I'm. Will say again. Very grateful for. Put a roof over my head. They. You know. I'm able to take care of myself. I'm able to take care of the people around me to a certain extent. Um, certainly, my parents who are getting old. I can. You know. They. They know that they're. They're covered. Right. Um, they've covered themselves. But if they need help, they know that their children can help them. So there's that. The question, what I would say back to you is, for all of that work that is on my IMDb page, Mm -hmm. how many times are those stories about me? Right. That that is the what we're talking about. That's what we're talking. To be sure, it's slow. It's slow, and it's yeah, yeah, and and it's onerous. It's 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 like it's sometimes it feels like pulling teeth because. You also don't want to be the person, or it's difficult to be the person, the yeah, but person, the, right? the, the business the actually person. The business model too is it was got to be you know you, like you point out. There's investors out there. There's there's money that that comes from certain people. They've seen it work a certain way, mm-hmm. and and there's just maybe no roadmap for these other stories being no. told. And then you do a Black Panther or something like that, and everybody goes, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> you know exactly. So. Talk to me about the the city right now. You and I live about two minutes apart from mm-hmm. each other. Great neighborhood. Yeah, love it. But over the last year, uh, a bit of a bit rocky. You know, a lot of, uh, of violence, and we're seeing. The, I mean, we just we're talking about this before we got started. Wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. We worry about people being able to afford mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. in this town. Mm-hmm. What's your take on our city right now? I what? love our city. Yeah, I do. I feel protective of. I not do. going too far down uh, San Francisco or uh, New York or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do. It, it really it really is my home, and it's been it's been very good to me. It's funny. I was talking to um, some of my castmates yesterday who live on the East End, and I said, "Have you noticed that the ridership of the Queen Car has changed lately?" And I think I've noticed it because. Um, because I've been away working so much, you know, whether it's Stratford or, you know, going somewhere to shoot or that sort of thing. So I come back and, you know, get back into my life and start, you know, doing what I do. And that includes riding the, the queen car. What I've noticed is that there are a lot more people displaying signs of poverty, homelessness and mental, um, mental distress. Mm-hmm. On the streetcar, and it's discomforting. Yeah, it is because you Tor- know Toronto Life did a recent piece in the last couple of weeks. Oh, did they addressing a bit of this? Yeah. yeah, because if I'm absolutely real about it, I get used to my neighborhood and the people in my neighborhood sort of being like me, and we all have a certain um, level, lifestyle level, and um, way of going about our daily lives that is uh, acceptable and considered normal. Mm -hmm. And then you get this, this reality thrown at you. Yeah. Those are the people who are living outside of the margins of our little neighborhood. And if we're seeing an increase, yeah, we know that something's something's going something's on. Awry. Yeah. Something's awry. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Con- it's yeah. concerning. It is very concerning, and I think 
we all of us i mean we can you know there is a the usual response of flight mm-hmm. you know you sell up you move somewhere where you know where you feel safer or something like that but i also i i think the the better the kinder um response is um the more pro- progressive response is to find out what is going on and address that tough work though it really is. It's yeah. tough work, and it takes such incredible courage and bravery because it's tough work. It's also expensive, mm-hmm. and it means it means that we're all going to have to pay for it in some way. And by and large, people don't want to do that. Yeah. Why should I have to somehow lose something, even though so many of us have more than enough? Why do I have to lose anything in order to help somebody out there who, and usually the trope is, just doesn't want to go get a job, you know, or just won't behave properly? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't somebody else do something? That stuff's getting pretty old. Yeah. Stinks up the joint. It really does. Uh It really does. And I I have to, I I actually have to look in the mirror first. Right. You know? It's fair. When my... We can get judgy. Yeah, we can get judgy. But I, I know I, I will pay. Right. I will pay in order to, to have a city that is, that is here for everybody. It's hard. We live in a it, people in a moment of people want change all the time. They want mm. they want results mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. We're so we're paid off so mm-hmm. easily in mm-hmm. our lives with the info mm-hmm. and technology that we have at our fingertips. Yeah, and that, you know, as Obama pointed out, those are incremental changes that incremental won't happen changes. maybe even in your lifetime i remember so, him talking about the ocean so line or what it's what it's like in order to get to um have a real change god i miss that man ah. um i don't yeah. know what you mean <laughs> that wasn't my outside voice anyway um yeah that it it's it's like turning an ocean liner how's uh stratford been for you it seems like that's been a pretty good uh yeah, six, yeah, it's been um, six seasons over, I think my first season was 2002, so it's six seasons over 17 years. You like being out there? And yeah, I you do. You set up camp over there and kind of move over? I do. And, I'm yeah. really good at, you know, piling up a van and moving what I need and setting up home and settling in and made it's, my it's friends its own little uh, world over it's, there. It really is. I mean, yeah. there's not, yeah, God, you, you know, you need to sort of chill out or whatever. You walk down to the Avon River and watch the swans, you know. <laughs> it's also hard work. <laughs> right. And all, you also get there in the wintertime and winter in Stratford is a freaking doozy. Right. Um, and so you have to work through that and then the spring starts happening. But it's such a, it's, it's a really lovely place to be and one thing that i've noticed is when i have to do when i've done a season there but i come back to toronto because you know i have responsibilities here that i need to take care of it is a shock to stand at the corner of queen and spadina like coming from stratford right like this city assaults you i do miss the city sure i miss the city when i'm in stratford and i'm happy to come home when the season is is over but whoa once you get used to Sunday afternoons in Stratford. Sure. Once your body settles into that, coming back to Toronto on a busy Friday. Whew. I just lived in Algonquin Park for the entire summer. Yeah. And you can imagine. Yeah. It was 
exactly what you're talking about. My goodness. I know. I know. I know. So there, you know, there are pluses and minuses. Yeah. That God knows. So Schitt's Creek uh, comes along and, uh, uh, you know, Dan and Eugene are putting this thing together. And was it just a, a audition and, and the rest, rest is history? And, it was an audition. It was a callback. It was a, and then it was a callback with, I think I was told that it was going to be Dan and Eugene. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there in the waiting room and um, Eugene, Dan came through and said, hi. <laughs> I said, hi. He said, how are you doing? I said, pretty, I'm really pretty nervous. Appro- pretty approachable guy. Yeah. yeah. I said, I'm really nervous. He said, oh, don't be nervous. And they told me that Eugene was, you know, he was shooting some scene where, oh, it was a scene where when he and Moira go to a cottage or what was supposed to be a cottage and he was climbing through a window or something like yeah. that so he could be there for the audition he was kind of busy and um yeah and had that third audition then booked the gig and it's been nice really no i knew i knew the name right but and i knew Catherine o'hara Catherine o'hara was in it and i knew those names i was just thinking about the christopher guest films waiting for guffman and Best i in Show, knew those and i thought to myself is this where we're going and it is a little different but there is shades of that too absolutely and because those those projects were so collaborative right yeah, yeah. so there a lot of the the same genius that um, Eugene and Catherine offered to those projects are there in spades. Big time. And what's been nice is that, of course, your relationship with Catherine has been explored, you know, off and on throughout all the seasons yeah, that they've yeah, come yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. It must be fun Ronnie to get together with, uh, <laughs> get together and cut another yet another scene together. I know. You're always a little, uh, you know. Uh, rolling your eyes at, uh, at Moira <laughs> and just dealing the best you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I just have to observe her. Really, the camera just has to catch me observing Moira, and it's real because it's the genius of Catherine O'Hara because she's because she's unstoppable because she's she is unflaggingly creative she is um she is fearless and you know and i speak about her because of course she's she's that force but it's all of them it really is i feel like i'm in the company of geniuses i feel like you know i can do a take and eugene can be behind the camera and come up to me and whisper uh maybe you should put the emphasis on this word instead of that word right and you know it'll change the world. Wow. I just I feel I feel like I'm in the best company, and I'm just along for the ride. It's been interesting to me too because I think the first season found its footing and mm. just its tone and so mm. on. And I don't I think you know I always encourage people like keep going if that's yeah the only place you've yeah, yeah. visited so Absolutely. far because it really has. As each season has gone oh, on, it's cruel. been a, a real joy to watch yeah. it flower and, and find its way and find its voice and its yeah. tempo and all of it. And isn't that what a lot of the articles were talking about, too, is the joy mm-hmm. that Shit's Creek brings. And um, and I've heard Dan talk about it, too, that that is something that people really need in these times of polarities and differences and us and them. And um, I mean, people really believe that the Marie Kondo Netflix show, The mm. Tiding, yeah. that's the secret of its success. Very similar. 
just a nice warm hug in, exactly. your, in your day and, and yeah. Schitt's Creek is often that Schitt's Creek is often that yeah yeah it's it's beautiful there's the scene where um where David is hugging um his boyfriend Patrick mm-hmm. because Patrick decided that you know he wanted to just be with David and nobody else and um and Patrick says this is a really long hug and David says just one more minute that's kind of what Schitt's Creek is like yeah so it's a good it's a good hug that in the words of one of my best friend's mother it lasts as long as it lasts yeah let the hug last yeah don't end it before it's supposed to be over weirdly i mean it makes me emotional just to talk about it but it it, it, weird it is amazing how how catty some of the characters can be towards each other, mm. but you often in that season finale, you are feeling yeah. your heart being pulled out. Absolutely. You know, it's truly great for that. Yeah. And it's exciting. I love seeing you in it. Thank you. I love being in it. Yeah. And, and, I, and it, it really does mean a lot that people enjoy it, that you enjoy it. And, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and my friends do, and then, you know, and then people who I don't know do. I just think, oh, my God, I get to be part of this thing that is so important to people. Mm-hmm. Like, they just, it it, re- it feeds them. I love that. Karen Robinson, you're the best, and I'm so glad. It was fun to hang out with you and have dinner, and it's been really fun to hang out with you and have a glass of water and enjoy uh, this conversation. Thank you, Mark Wigmore. I'm so glad that we were able to finally do this. I'm sorry it took so long, but it's been worth it. Oh, my goodness. Wasn't she great? What a charmer and uh, thoughtful and just wonderful person. Just love Karen. And you can watch her on CBC Television, The Pop Network, and Netflix as Ronnie in Season 6 of Shit's Creek. That's it. Don't forget you can listen to episodes of Art at the End of the World at classicalfm.ca or artattheendoftheworld.com. And everywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts, you can subscribe at iTunes and Stitcher on and on and on. Thank you once again to our sponsors today, Red Eye Media and Crow's Theater. And thanks to you. Thanks for checking out the show. We're on Facebook. Twitter is at Art at the End. My Instagram handle is at Wigdad. We're back on Monday with a fresh conversation from Crow's Theater, the great Chris Abraham, a major player in the Canadian theater scene. Looking forward to speaking with Chris. And don't forget, you can hear my program, The Oasis, on the new Classical FM weekdays, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern, 12 to 4 Pacific, at classicalfm.ca. You can watch the broadcast live on YouTube and Classic FM in Toronto at 96.3, Coburg at 103.1, and Collingwood at 102.9. There's another edition of Art at the End of the World Remix. We're back on Monday. Speak to you then and for as long as we can.
podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.